All righty, to our automotive friends and neighbors and enthusiasts from all around the world, we're still not sure why you throw away hours carelessly listening to this. <laughs> this, uh... This uh, this alacritous episode of V8 Radio, Kevin. <laughs> alacritous. Yes, sir. Well, certainly lacking. What does what, what <laughs> alacritous mean? A cheerful willingness or eagerness. Oh, yeah, that works. Alacritous. Yeah, right on. Uh, cool. Well, I'm your host, Kevin Oste, joined as always by our esteemed co-host, Mr. Mike Hubal-Clark, and you're listening to an, an alacritous episode of V8 Radio. Uh, this is a, a podcast where we sometimes talk about car stuff and a lot of times talk about nonsense, uh, but the, the meat and potatoes of this particular uh, program for those who subscribe to our podcast, which we encourage everybody to do, um, is a section that we like to call automotive trivia. Good stuff, Kev. Because this is <laughs> automotive trivia and you can't call it too much else. I know, right. <laughs> <laughs> good times it's like that lyric in uh in the the monkey's tune valerie where uh, i love her yeah i love her valerie. i love her valerie they call her valerie, valerie. <laughs> probably because it's the only thing she responds to exactly because it's her name <laughs> <laughs> and this is automotive trivia how about that uh, so did you, did you, have you come up with a, uh, you know what, before we get into the, the, the current trivia question, sure. we, we have a rehash from last time. Oh yeah. So my trivia question to you was, uh, what part of a car is dimensioned in both, uh, SAE standard and metric dimensions. Right. And of course you said the tire, which is what I was going for. Uh, but of course, Trevor, God dang it. <laughs> in our V8 Speed and Resto shop. Say no more. <laughs> yes, Tre- Trevor uh, pointed out that there is another uh, uh, part of the car that's in everything that is dimensioned both with metric and SAE. Really? And that's that's not my trivia question this week, but it could be. <laughs> so you're not gonna you're not gonna give it up. <laughs> I'll give it up. Uh, but he pointed out that the spark plug is also metric. Really? Because many times they have metric threads, but the the nut size is always SAE. Oh. Well, that's interesting. So there's another one. Would that, I wonder if that would, hmm. Now that it has me thinking. So even on. I I think like on American domestic stuff, then it would both be SAE. Oh, okay. But in imports, it would probably be metric and SAE. Or, you know, like a modern domestic metric thread. Yeah. So that was kind of fun. All right. Well, thank you, Trevor, for the clarification. Yeah, he's always good for clarification. He is. Mm -hmm. So with that uh, bit of excitement, um, I've got one more little piece of fun on on the trivia question side. And this is great. This is so cool. Uh, you and I had joked about before that uh, we don't have a running score for who <laughs> <laughs> who's ahead on the trivia questions between yourself or myself. And because we are still in uh, in social distancing, self quarantine, uh, uh, lockdown times here in the world, um, our friend Yardley, who we've mentioned before who uh, owns a 69 Riviera uh, yards went back and took the time to listen to all of our trivia questions and actually created a spreadsheet <laughs> and God. sent it to me <laughs> 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 tallying who's ahead. And it was funny because uh, he sent me an email and it said, well, last <laughs> week, Mike asked somebody to do a spreadsheet outlining the win loss ratio of your trivia questions. So because I'm done painting the master bathroom, Scrubbing the master bedroom top to bottom, scrubbing the living room top to bottom, scrubbing the kitchen top to bottom, which needs to be done again, scrubbing the family room, including shampooing the carpet, cleaning and organizing my workshop and garage, and cataloging every spare part in a spreadsheet, over 250 parts, and tossing almost 20 contractor trash bags of crap out the door, and finishing the last bucket list of jobs on my Riviera, and it's too cold to weed the garden. (laughs) I reviewed every single podcast and kept a tally of winners and losers. 
<laughs> so it's a little interesting insight uh, as to what some car guy friends are doing to maintain their sanity. Which My gosh. <laughs> this task would drive me insane. No uh, doubt. On its own. But he, uh, he, he ordered these by date starting in February of 17. Uh, and here we are 62 shows later. Uh, and we are, uh, we're about, uh, about a two to one ratio. About a two to one ratio. Yeah. 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 I think, uh, you've got 15 correct answers and I have 32 at this Which point. Which still blows me away on both sides. <laughs> what do you mean? I thought you would have way more correct mm-hmm. answers and I would have way less correct answers. No, no, no. I'm telling you, you're, you, you hang with this for sure. Well, I mean... The, the analytics are in there, so I guess I, I have to agree with it. But Some of these I have to ask about because, like, there was a bonus question, you know. So, like, uh-huh. in uh, in the March 13th, 2020 episode, I was correct, comma, incorrect, and you were incorrect, comma, incorrect. Yeah, it must so, have been a two-parter. Uh, yeah, I don't know which one of those counts towards the total or if they both did or whatever, but... Uh, Yardly? We need yeah. <laughs> we need you to, <laughs> we need to expand. Recount. <laughs> uh, too funny. So That's great stuff. Thank you again, Yardley. That was unbelievable. Yeah, that yeah. you actually took the time to do that. It, it to- was f- fantastic. Totally uh, above and beyond regular listener duties. Yes, exactly. All Which- all we want people to do is listen, and this guy actually took it a step beyond and actually did stuff. Yeah. So that's fun. Okay, so uh, um, where were we? Oh, yeah, right. Trivia question. Trivia question. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. So you got one? Yes, sir. I do have one. Um, Kevin, you and the talented crew at the V8 Speed and Resto Shop have certainly done your fair share in putting out uh, a few pro touring cars in your day. But, I, Kevin, I ask you, who is the man credited for starting the pro touring movement? Well, that is a great question. So are we talking about the term pro touring or the, the, the style of car? The style of car. Hmm. <laughs> well, all right. So we should probably expand upon a little bit the concept of pro touring and, um, mm-hmm where I believe the term even has significance and uh, it really kind of goes back a little ways. And it's funny because like the more society seems to advance, the more it seems to regress. Hmm. Uh, Facebook, for example, we see all these different Facebook groups. And I would think by now, if you were in a group called pro touring Camaros or pro touring builds or pro touring cars on Facebook, you'd at least think, you would know what the term means. Yeah, you would but think. No, you, you would think, yeah, yeah. But there are plenty of people who put a picture of a 69 Camaro up there and it's got tubs and it's got wrinkle wall slicks in the back. And oh, it's that sounds more pro street than 15 by four front runners in front. And they're like, oh, here's my pro touring Camaro. And somebody steps up, and says, well, you know, the, the definition of a pro touring car isn't necessarily a drag racer or a pro street car. Uh-huh. And then they yell at me, saying that I don't know what I'm talking about. Of course you don't. Right, which is, you know. I mean, how, how dare you even offer an opinion? 50% of the time, I'm right, I guess. <laughs> or, or 150% of the time, <laughs> depending on how you look at the scores yeah, of our trivia questions. pretty much. Uh, so, you know, it, it's always been my understanding that a pro touring car is an evolution of the touring car or grand touring car or GT car concept that we, we saw in a lot of European sports sedans. So your, your BMW, uh, uh, five series, your, uh, you know, some of the Mercedes, um, two doors, and then taking this road going suspension and putting it on a, a classic American muscle car becomes a pro touring muscle car. Mm. So 
bigger brakes, tauter suspension, the ability to go around turns, the ability to stop faster, and then, of course, more power goes along with that. And to expand that definition, a lot of people throw in some luxury amenities because that's what those BMWs, Mercedes, Porsches have. You know, those are mostly leather seat, you know, comfortable cars. Mm. Not necessarily, though. Um, There are those who think the fringe of Pro Touring should go the other way a little bit more, which is a track car with, you know, no creature comforts, but just all performance. Um, So when we started to see these cars, I think we saw a few cars that were being built that all of a sudden that that label kind of applied to. And then other people started building to the label. Okay. Okay. So it's my opinion that, you know, we saw some of these types of cars in the late 70s, early 80s being built by guys like Dick Goldstrand and uh, uh, Dennis Meekham with the, the Macho TAs and, and some of these cars. You know, you could, you could really take it as far back as Carroll Shelby and look at a GT350 Mustang. Because a GT350 on the street was a car with increased braking and handling, and True. it was a road road course car. But that that was you know two and a half decades before the pro touring term was even thought about. So, in recent times, um, I'm aware of a conversation that was had between Jeff Smith, who at the time I think was either at Hot Rod or Chevy High Performance Magazine, and our friend Mark Stilo at uh, General Motors. Mm-hmm. And Stilo was building a Camaro, the, f- the first of, he's up to 13 or so, or 14 of them now, that was designed to embody this type of personality. And him and Jeff um, came up with the pro touring term. And in fact, I have one of the original window cling stickers of the pro touring logo. Ooh, nice. Yes. And, and, and it's... Uh, it says Pro Touring. It's got kind of wings off to the side with, with a, a low-profile tire with a spoked performance wheel in the middle, and that was the, the logo. There, there was an official logo of Pro Touring cool. uh, at one point. And then, of course, our friend Larry Callahan jumped off and started ProTouring.com, and, and that kind of grew that side of it. And uh, Scott Galbrinson started LateralG.net, and here you've got a couple of strong websites and forums about these types of cars. Mm-hmm. So, again, there was a there was a, a, a decent amount of cars that were built around that premise. But I think the one that kind of stuck the term pro touring, I'm going to say, would be something by Mark Stilo. So that's my guess. Mark Stilo. All right. Kevin says Mark Stilo. Duly noted, sir. <laughs> <laughs> Duly. Noted. Duly All noted. Right. All right. So well, that got... was a f- that was a fun reach back into a part of my mind I haven't been in in a while. So well, good. I'm happy to help. Yeah, that's why I'm here. Help me go out of my mind. That's right. <laughs> <laughs> All right, I got one for you. Um, what? I guess this could be a two parter. This could be a what and when. Okay. But we'll say the the what meaning a manufacturer is the is the meat and the when will be the uh the potatoes okay what was the first production supercharged car Ooh. and when for the potatoes first production supercharged car mm-hmm. um let me see and when well okay well, it's the supercharging kind of it. The U.S. experimented with supercharging in in uh, fighter aircraft in World War II, mm-hmm. and after the return of the troops after the war, is when your hot rodding movement really took off. Um, and I'm sure that it was around that time when manufacturers got on board with something like that. But I'm going to go <laughs> back even further. Oh. And I'm going to say, because there were some luxury cars that had some really wild equipment on there. Okay, um, let, me get, let me get Sherman here to set the way back machine. Yeah, where, where exactly. We're going. Um, let's see. I'm going to... 
I'm going to say it, the first manufacturer to have a production supercharger was a um, a Duesenberg. A Duesenberg. Yes. Well, that would have been a doozy. It would have been definitely a doozy. Mm-hmm. And I'm going to say 1930. 1930 Duesenberg. After WW2 and all that stuff. All that nonsense, yeah. Okay, man. Well, triangulated answer. Yeah, well, I try. And duly noted. Thank you. Thank you very much. You're welcome. Yeah. You know, it's funny. We were just talking a minute ago about uh, uh, ProTouring.com, and we have last episode we were chatting about magazines and, and how, you know, they've evolved in whatever way they have. The other thing that I find myself really missing is the automotive forums a lot. Mm. Yeah. Uh, uh, just talking about ProTouring.com and Lateral G. But I got a ray of hope this past week. Did you? Which was pretty interesting. Yeah. Um, I'm on a, a mailing list of some sort from from a couple different forums. And today that usually uh, honestly appears to me as junk mail where it's like, here's the latest from, you know, whatever. Right. Uh, but this time, for whatever reason, I decided to click on it. And it was a, a message from Chevelles.com. Okay. That forum is on fire. Really? Yes, it was. There, there had to have been 150 posts like that day. Holy cow! Yeah, new topics and lots of people, and and I thought, wow, this this is really cool. And I started kind of clicking through, and um, one little piece of trivia on the Chevelles.com forum is there's there's three Chevelles in the header image uh, uh-huh. when you go to that website, and one of them is one that we built. How about that? Get out of town! Right on. <laughs> yeah. Uh, my cousin Donnie's uh, blue 65 Chevelle is yeah. in the, it's the lead car on the header image at Chevelles.com. Well, that's terrific. And it's kind of funny cause they flipped it. It's the image is backwards from the original. Oh, is that right? Yeah. And they huh. did that a long time ago when they redesigned that forum. And one day I went there and I was like, holy cats, look at that. Uh, and rather than be a jerk about it i uh, i made a post saying hey thanks you know and mm-hmm. we appreciate you sharing the car and here's the original image if you want to see what it looks like um and a lot of people have commented that you know that it was kind of nice that we didn't go guns a blazing saying yeah. hey you owe me money for that or you know you right. violated my rights because as far as i'm concerned the more people that can see that cool car the better yeah so agreed yeah. yeah, but it also appears that uh, uh, the performance years Pontiac forum is going real strong. Yeah, that has never, I've never seen that forum wither at all, even through the advent of Facebook and the rise of social media. I, I, I go there fairly regularly and there's tons of new posts there. It's just, it's a juggernaut of, uh, of activity there still, which is great. Yeah. Well, cause a lot of them took a hit and, and yeah. went to Facebook and other stuff. And, and the problem with that is that, you know, the, the platform on Facebook is not designed to be a storehouse of knowledge. It's a scrolling feed of nonsense. Good point. Yep. So it was really good to see, um, that that resource is, uh, is still viable. One thing that was not really cool was I went back and checked some of our old posts of some of the forum threads and the cars that we built that we shared on Chevelles.com. And some of them, all the pictures are gone. Really? Yeah. And it, I know why it's a, it's technicality on our site. There's a section of where the images are stored. That is not, um, HTTPS secured. Oh, it's regular HTTP and that forum, their new policy is they will not show unsecure images. Yes. Okay. That's too bad. I mean, I, I get it. It's too bad that your pictures don't get to be shown, but I understand the security involved. Well, it just, it forces my hand to make an upgrade on the website and get everything secured properly again. And that means another project. Amen, brother. Yeah. <laughs> but I, I've Some been guys told have that, all the luck. <laughs> yeah. I, I've been told that they will come back magically as soon as we do that. So, oh, that's good. I mean, so is, now I'm, is it that big a deal to secure the site? Yes. Oh, boy. 
<laughs> Whoops. In a nutshell. Well, it can be. Yeah. Um, I'm hoping it's not. Um, the one way to, to look at this is that every single URL in your server has to be secured. Um, oh. So either they all have to change, which is everything changing, uh-huh. or they might live inside a folder, and if the whole folder gets the security privilege, okay, it, it'll recursively bump everything inside of it. That would be easier. That, I, I'm hoping. I'm hoping that's what's going to happen. <laughs> oh, my um, gosh. Right. And that's really the re- main reason why I haven't done this already is because I didn't want all of our links to be broken all over the internet right? Uh, because the address changed. So Yeah, that would stink. It's got to be a better way, though. It's got to be a way to yeah. do it without breaking everything. I'm sure there is. I'd like to think of, you know, most things in life, there's a way to do things without breaking everything, but I've not yet discovered that. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I know how to break it. All right. <laughs> oh, yeah. I continually find things to break. Mm-hmm. So I thought that was cool. I was glad to see that, um, that a lot of these forums uh, are still out there and uh, and doing well. I think a lot of people are getting sick of the social platform of just scrolling by and Instagram and stuff where you can't make real comments or sure. use it as a knowledge base. Mm-hmm. So um, once I get our, our stuff secured, I'm going to start some new threads. Sweet. Sweet. Yeah. I, I, you're, that's a great point about forums being knowledge bases because I do when I'm, you know, hot and heavy into this GTO, I, I use that as a reference quite a bit because Mm-hmm. Typically, if what I'm trying to do, someone else or 10 other people have done already. Totally. And they have documented their processes and it's all there for the, for anyone else to, to see, which is which is a flipping miracle over the time before automotive forums when you'd have to hopefully know a guy that may know what he's talking about or may know another guy and you have third-hand knowledge and uh, maybe it's right, maybe it's not. Well, and what's even more aggravating is when... So, for example, there's a, um, I'm not going to pick on any particular for, uh, uh, Facebook group, but uh, you're in a group and a new person joins and they ask the most rudimentary question that has been answered a billion times on oh, forums right. and on, you know, other other resources. Mm-hmm. But this person doesn't know or doesn't take the time to look or mm-hmm. they can't search it because it's a Facebook group that doesn't have that ability. Right. And what it ends up doing is perpetuating a bunch of garbage um, where people are jumping in that are also not qualified to answer the question. Like, I don't know, like maybe what's a pro touring car. uh, (laughs) (laughs) Got me. You got me. (laughs) And, 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 you know, you got to slog through all that to try and get to Mm -hmm. a decent answer. And I swear I've had people that are insistent on incorrect information and it it's oh, a bummer geez. um where you don't really see that so much on the forums you know because you you've got that luxury to go hey does this fit this and you mm-hmm. look it up and they go yes it does here's a picture and you're done plus you can also do a good there's a, a lot of these forums have good search engines as well to search oh, yeah. in the forums so right totally or somebody if somebody does ask a rudimentary question somebody either may say use the search or they'll link in the thread of where his, that information is and then right. lock the thread down if it's an admin and, and then be on their way. So it doesn't fill up with garbage. Right. So right. here's your answer. Have a nice day. Please use the search in the future. Yeah. And I think unfortunately our, our attention span is getting shorter, you know, and, and I used to really enjoy following threads along and, and so, oh, yeah. you know, waiting for that next update, the next picture, whatever, and, you know, and, and becoming part of that community and sometimes giving the person a hard time if there hasn't been an update in a while. Right. And of course, receiving a lot of that stuff too, you know, when our updates were not that great or, or very dramatic or they took too long or whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and on Facebook, it's like, or, or Instagram or, you know, any of the other places you can go, people want to just see the finished product and be done with it. Yeah, I mean, I I get, you know, I, I agree. People's attention span is shorter, but I, you know what? Like you, I, I enjoy the journey from start to finish. There, if, case in point, there was a thread that somebody had on the, on the Performance Years forums who wanted a serpentine uh, setup, but didn't want like a March serpentine system or anything like that. He wanted it to look factory. 
So this guy, I mean, over a period of months, researched pulleys, diameters, modifications that was going to be needed in order to create his own quote-unquote factory serpentine setup on his GTO. And it looked amazing when he was done. I mean, mm-hmm. it looked like it belonged there from, from the get-go. Mm-hmm. And, and now all that information is there for anybody who wants to do the same thing. This guy did all the legwork for you for the, for the benefit of the rest of the people who may want to do that as well. Yeah, and that's that's what it's for, yeah. you know. And, and it would be a bummer if it was if that started off as a Facebook post. Oh yeah, and and then two weeks from now he added a, a picture in the comments. You know, it <laughs> yeah, just, it it wouldn't work. So. Yeah. yeah, exactly. So that was really cool, and and we have some we're guilty too of having some unfinished forum threads even on our own site. Um, our forum we have two of them, two different topics I should say, one of which is. Uh, cars that we've built at the VHB and Resto. Uh, the other is individuals who built their own cars that are sharing them on the forum. And uh, the whole goal there was to allow people to post their own stuff and not have it get intermingled with ours um, for those, sure. that, you know, we're just seeking our stuff out. Mm-hmm. But when I noticed, you know, traffic started to, to fall off and, and, and again, the rise of Facebook, uh, I found, and of course, I just found myself not having quite as much time to author all these things. When you mm-hmm. got, you know, 25 cars in the shop, it's hard to write a story about each one of them. That's tough. Uh, but there are some that, you know, I would like to do and, mm-hmm. and like to get out there. So it was, it was neat. Kind of energized again about the forums. Well, I certainly owe a few updates on my GTO, uh, the saga. Yeah, <laughs> That right. is my there GTO. I owe yeah, a few yeah. updates on that forum as well. Yeah, and I'm guilty too because uh, my rev's getting some work as we speak. So, yeah, to, that's right. Brought it to our own shop. Yeah, yeah Tyler, Tyler was uh, helping you out with that, right? Yep, yep. He's done a done a whole lot of stuff in a short period of time, and that's why it was there. Uh, so, did a almost a complete front end rebuild, except for ball joints because they were fine. Cool. Um, end links, upper lower control arm bushings. Uh, I had already put new shocks on it, so we, we just reused those. Uh, but the tie rod ends and all that stuff were in good shape. So, And then he went through an ordeal changing some rear axle bearings because um, the part number you buy is not correct for the car. Uh. Uh, and he had to measure and cross-reference and locate uh, bearings and oh retaining gosh. collars and all that stuff. So that was that was fun. Uh, but <laughs> I bet. Made it through all that. He put some rear shocks on it, changed the rear axle fluid out, put new uh, brake shoes all the way around. It's still a drum brake car. And, and uh, you know, I, I have plans eventually to do some kind of disc upgrade and a hydro boost on it. But this thing just stops so well with the drums Does the way I nice? drive it. it. It I'm not worried about it. Um, but I had riveted shoes. Uh-huh. And I changed them. I had Tyler change them for bonded shoes. Okay. So that, uh, it, you know, if these wear, they don't score the, the drums real bad. Oh, you know, I, ri- I got you. The rivet heads can do that. Sure. Um, and he had to have the rear drums turned just a touch to clean them up to get the shoes to fit. Uh-huh. So that all happened. A front grease job, bearings. Um, today or yesterday and today, I guess he was doing a... I had a leaky intake manifold, so we put a new intake gasket set on it and uh, valve covers and... Uh, upper and lower radiator hoses. And, nice. Yeah, a whole bunch of stuff. So I'm happy about that. A lot so, of great maintenance stuff. I love it. That thing's going to be like driving like a new car. We'll see. Yeah, yeah. Did a little tire rotation. Um, so it'll be something that uh, I'll have to throw a few photos in the uh, the forum, especially that odyssey of the rear axle bearings because that was a nightmare. Is it? What about that... Um the side uh the window seal that's uh kind of phase three okay doing some mechanical stuff first um uh, if he gets this other stuff wrapped up tomorrow or so uh might have him do that too nice Uh, the horn relay has failed ah um which it failed in every every previous rib i've ever had really Um, yeah and it's funny i think he's trying to find the darn thing right now because it's way up under the dash but um the previous ones i've been able to repair uh it's just the little power feed wire that goes the coil that becomes the electromagnet inside the relay yeah some somehow breaks um Hmm. so if you're very careful you can finally solder that thing back together and it works fine 
Cool. Because uh, it's not a it's not an off the shelf part, of course. So. Of course, it's not. <laughs> Why yeah. would it be? <laughs> You're, there's probably not a lot of off the shelf parts for that car. What not a whole lot. No, yeah. not a whole lot. But that's so. part of the charm. It is, and I'm just I'm glad he put new uh, strut rod bushings up front, and and those were they were worn out when I got the car, and because those bushings are not off the shelf. Uh, I did a trick where you can take some from a 69 Mustang and file them down and swap oh, nice. them in because the Mustang has a similar strut rod front end. Uh, but those weren't cut properly. I think I cut them to the dimension, their compressed dimension. Oh, okay. So, so once they got tightened on the car, they were all of a sudden too short already. So that ended up being a little bit of play in there. And you nice. could notice it because your alignment would change. You know, if you hit the brakes, everything would. Oh, boy adjust <laughs> so i'm just looking for improvements in those kind of areas of, sure you know little maintenance crap so that uh get this thing back on the road and not have to worry about stuff nice 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 yeah so you're right that, that'll be a good forum update a couple pics of the riv and uh-huh. uh and then we'll get some gto updates and we're as soon as i'm allowed to leave the house Right. We can, now you got get an some excuse. updates. <laughs> <laughs> right. Yeah. yeah. I just made actually before um before we started this, I was I was uh typing up a quick list of uh remaining items that I need. And it's not that bad of a list right now. That's so, good. Oh yeah, so I'm close. I'm really God, when I look at it, I'm like, oh my gosh, I'm right there. I'm right there. Yeah, yeah, so, yeah, yeah. Well, right there is better than nowhere, so... Right there is better than where I was a year ago. This is true. Man, it's come a long way. Long way. Yeah. Well, that's awesome. Um, I I will look forward to that. Me too. Me too. And, uh, you know, you've resisted the urge along the way to just throw an LS in it. Yeah. (laughs) There was no resistance because there was no urge. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, we're supposed to get one of our LS cars back this week. Actually, that 66 uh, Olds 442 we did a few years ago. Right. He's getting some maintenance done, and he's bringing that one back. Um, he's put a lot of miles on the car and really, really digs it. And uh, it'll be neat to see that car because we didn't, in my opinion, we did not do a proper send-off. We didn't do a good video on that car. Okay. Uh, so we're going to shoot one of those when it comes in. How would, how how many would you say like in a on a on a percentage basis, our cars getting LS swapped? Like in the world or in our shop? In your shop, just from your experience. Um, a decent amount, but not not all of them. You know, I think people are under the impression that the LS swap is is maybe more popular than it really is. Mm. Um, it, it certainly has its its motivation for doing it. Uh, but like I've got a bunch of trans ams and Pontiacs in the shop right now that are all staying Pontiac powered. Um, a couple old 403 cars that are staying old 403. Wow. As a matter of no fact, kidding. Huh. Uh, just getting some drivability stuff, you know, fuel injection and whatnot. Mm-hmm. Um, but at the same time, I've got an LS a 67 Camaro that we're just starting on right now. Uh, we've got an LT four, you know, supercharged Camaro. That's mm-hmm. kind of in the home stretch. Um, and then I've got the other flavors too. I mean, we've got two Coyote 5.0 Ford swaps in process right now. And, and we've got a, uh, a six, four Hemi Mopar swap going on. Nice. Um, yeah. And a 70 Barracuda that, that came in kind of bolted together, but nowhere finished. So we're, okay. you know, wiring and making that one work. And, you know, people ask all the time, you know why is the LS such a such a uh, popular swap engine? And in fact, our friend Paul asked you that. Yes, he did. Yes, he did. Um, actually, I thought about this, and it goes back, I think, to when uh, when the small block the small block Chevy came out in 1955. Um, that design really lent itself to um, transplanting into other other vehicles number one it's it's a a fairly compact design uh has probably good it's a fairly lightweight design good power in it 
and on a, on a lesser uh, aspect, it's it's a good looking engine. The Chevy small block's a nice looking engine. It's very symmetrical. It looks good, mm-hmm. um, and I think that's what lends itself to a lot of hot rodders. And it's easy. And there are literally millions of them out there, and the parts are cheap. They're easy to make a lot of power. They they last a long time if they're built right. And I think a lot of those features cross over into the LS platform. It's a fairly compact engine. Not a very good looking engine, but uh, mm. it uh, makes power super easy. They're super cheap to buy. You can buy a junkyard 5.3 for you know a couple hundred dollars out of a truck and make a lot of good power with it. And that is just so attractive to people who want to make good power. Unlike uh, a, a, a new a new uh, a new Hemi, which is probably super expensive. A Coyote, ridiculously expensive to make fast. It's a huge engine too. It probably doesn't fit in a lot of things without a lot of uh, a lot of uh, modification. So for those reasons, I think the LS continues to be a super popular swap in a lot of the a lot of older vehicles. Yeah, and I think you're right. And you've touched on a few things there. One is that you got to warn people about the misconception of the LS and gen three and gen four small blocks being cheap because in many ways they are, you can, you can get a five, three, like you're saying for a few hundred bucks, mm-hmm. but there's so much that goes along with the conversion that if somebody does a, you know, a super bare bones budget swap, mm-hmm. they're going to have problems. And it's funny, if you jump on YouTube and, and look up like budget LS swap, you see these people that the headline is, you know, $2,000 LS swap, and then, or is it, question mark. Because uh-huh. by the time they put the fuel system in the car and the fuel lines and the fittings, uh, yeah, um, that. well, you end up making these choices along the way. And and I tell people all the time that, that call our shop, and I hear Joe, our, our customer relation guy on the phone, you know, every day, where people are like, these engines are cheap. I can get a, you know, a turnkey solution for, you know, a couple of thousand bucks and where that might be true to a certain degree. Mm-hmm. Um, the difference comes in the, that's using the, the, the junkyard engine, first of all. So that means, you mm-hmm. know, probably no warranty, unknown history, Correct. you know, and, and if you're building a junkyard car, that's great, you know? Mm-hmm. Uh, but, uh, you know, when people call us, they, they want something a little bit nicer than, Something that looks like it just came out of a hundred and fifty thousand mile pickup truck. Right. I'm not saying it's right or wrong. I'm just uh-huh. saying that that's that's a consideration, you mm-hmm. know. Because in order, like you said, to make these things pretty, you got to take them apart and clean them. Mm-hmm. And if it's an aluminum block, you know, all the accessory drives aluminum, the heads are aluminum, the intake is plastic. Uh, it takes a lot of cleaning and detail work to make one of these things look nice. Mm-hmm. And that's time and time is money. And next thing you know, you know, you've added to the budget. Um, You can get the factory ECM out of the car and the factory harness, but it's only going to allow you to put the ECM kind of where GM wanted it. Mm -hmm. So if you want to necessarily want it. Right. Or make it look nice. And and then so there's that question. And the next question becomes, well, the, the factory harness might be trying to communicate with the body module and the security system and and the emissions controls and do you do you need all that in your hot rod so mm-hmm. can we start to cut those things out of the harness and here's one of those decisions because yes you certainly can but why bother spending time on a 15 or 20 year old junkyard takeout harness mm-hmm. when you can get a new one that doesn't have any of that stuff that's designed for that for that retrofit Sure, and and yeah. allows you the flexibility to put the ECM out of the way so you don't see it, so that mm-hmm. the wires are clean when you open the hood. But this also adds, you know, in some cases more expense than the engine itself. You know, so well, yeah. Th- these are ways that the the price climbs, but I think the returns are totally there. You know, the LS platform, like you said, the improvements over the second generation small block the list is a, is a mile and a half long. And a lot of people don't really realize what changed on those engines outside of plastic and aluminum, mm. you know, but it was uh, a clean sheet design. Uh, it's a six bolt main block. So it's got cross bolted mains from mm. the factory. So the bottom end is super strong. It was designed to be aluminum or cast iron. So you can get the aluminum block and it's the same dimensions as the iron block. 
the oiling system has vastly improved. The the piston and and crank geometry has been improved. The cylinder heads are light years ahead of anything that was available on a Gen three uh-huh. or a Gen two small block. And then silly things like it's a gasketless design. You know the whole thing's O rings. That's right. That's uh, right. And you need sealer on on a couple little spots, and that's it. And a lot of those gaskets are reusable, so it doesn't leak anywhere near as much as uh, you know right. your your traditional small block. Uh, and initially, people were kind of scared off because things like the the main bolts, the main caps, uh, were called torque to yield. Right. So there were single-use fasteners, mm-hmm. uh, but today you can get all that stuff new from ARP and and load the whole thing with reusable fasteners, so you can tear them down and rebuild them. Mm-hmm. Uh, again, the cylinder head design is is super nice. The the airflow is just unreal. The roller motors from the factory they've got uh, bosses machined and 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 cast into the valley pan for knock sensors and a reluctor ring on the crank for mm-hmm. the timing and. You know, little advancements like uh, uh, it doesn't have a traditional distributor. It's got a coil-on-plug design. Mm-hmm. So, you know, when you think about that, you used to have one ignition coil firing for every cylinder. And now you've got one coil firing one-eighth of the time. So it has more time to recharge, giving sure. a better spark. And then it, spark, it, yeah. and it's going to last so much longer. And your plug wire is only a few inches long now, instead of something that went from the, you know, the far left front head all the way right. around. A couple feet back. long. Yeah. Yeah. And, and, and the short one being a foot long. So there was differences in timing and, mm-hmm. and, and the, uh, uh, engine management system is the factory one is brilliant. Um, and especially if you can tune it and, and make it work in your application. Uh, otherwise you've got aftermarket options that, you know, you can oh. throw on the thing and tune themselves. You know? Vast aftermarket support on those on those engines. Unbelievable. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's a whole industry in and of itself. It's just LS support, for crying out loud. Right, totally. And and now we're seeing all these companies that make, you know, bolt-in kits to adapt them to different platforms mm-hmm. with mounts and cross members and headers and and accessory drives. And, and Holly keeps pushing the envelope with their accessory drive systems which are pretty cool because they, they retain that OE kind of cast aluminum look, but they're getting smaller. In fact, their new, their latest concept, I think was stolen from one of the Corvettes, but it's a, it's a generic water pump now that bolts onto a housing and the housing has the brackets built into it for the water pump or for the uh, steering pump and the alternator. Oh, so very cool. They just consolidate all this stuff. And if the water pump goes bad, you take the middle part of the pump out and put another one in and the rest of the pump housing stays on the engine. Oh, brilliant. That's very it is. cool. It's, it's pretty sharp. Yeah. So you have all that stuff. Plus they're lightweight. They can easily make a ton of power. And like you said, they, they package well into, in, into just about anything. And there was some hiccups there too, because the oil pan and pickup was different. Uh-huh. Uh, so they had to get around that. So companies, you know, started making different pans and pickups and then headers and manifolds were starting to come on the market. And uh-huh. today, you know, the nice thing is, so, so I think the real secret of doing a dollar down LS type swap is by used aftermarket performance parts. Huh. So don't think you're going to the junkyard and taking a junkyard engine because you can't use the pan, you can't use the manifolds, you know, the, you're going to have to put new mounts in it. Uh-huh. You don't really want that old wiring harness or whatnot. But if you hang out maybe on an automotive forum, you know, like uh-huh. com or even a Facebook marketplace kind of thing, uh-huh. and start accumulating pieces that people have been taking off to improve theirs, you'll find headers, I you'll find you. ECMs, you'll find harnesses, yep. you'll find all this stuff. Uh, and I think that's a, a better way to get in if you're going to truly try to piece something together uh, for as little investment as possible. I, get, and I think that's part of the allure as well. If people who like to try to scrounge all these parts uh, to build something on their own rather than buy a whole package of, of things, they can kind of, you know, pick and pick apart and you know find little things here and there that they want to say oh i I, you know i need these headers so uh they they find it you know like you said like on a forum or a facebook marketplace or or a specific intake they want to try to find and i think that's part of the part of the fun it is you know and that's real hot rotting i think 
It is. Yeah. And in, in that case, you know, you can, you can look at new stuff, new catalogs and, and transpose, you know, part numbers and whatnot. Uh-huh. It's still kind of buyer beware that the things are going to work. And, right. Oh yeah. And your individual finish level, um, you know, it's kind of up to you again. That's where a lot of the uh-huh. time goes, but the question that Paul had about, you know, of all the late model engines, why is this one such the SWAT monster? I think is a term that he used. You hit some other great points. The the Coyote V8, the five O's from Ford are wonderful engines. They sure. are so strong. The bottom end will handle 12, 1500 horsepower uh, in stock configuration. It's crazy, but they're very big. They're big. You know, like you said, yeah, that cylinder head. It's a it's a four valve head, which is great. You know, it flows really insane amounts of air, but they're 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 almost wider than they are longer. Yeah, exactly. I mean, that's that that's a real limiting factor in a lot of cases, especially if it's something that you want to put in, um, like an old a uh, a Model A or something like a Model A hot rod. That I don't think that would ever fit or look good. Yeah, it would end up looking like you know an old Arden flathead. Yeah, you know, with huge. The, the Hemi overhead conversion is sticking out with no, no side covers on the engine, you know, just on the hood, hood sides. Uh, so there's that, um, the, the aftermarket support is catching up, Mm -hmm. uh, with the Ford stuff, but Ford doesn't do the aftermarket any favors with Mm. part numbers and part revisions. So they'll make part revisions, you know, a couple times a year. And all of a sudden, something physically doesn't bolt to the block anymore. Oh, wow. Yeah. The front drive will change or, or a cylinder head will change. And, and all of a sudden, uh, the part number is totally different and the stuff doesn't fit anymore. So you have a lot of companies that are kind of waiting around to see if a particular Ford crate engine will stay consistent for three or four years oh, before boy. they'll invest making parts for it. Because they don't want to spend all kinds of money developing an intake manifold or something, and it only fits in an engine made for three months. Yeah, that would not be good. (laughs) (laughs) I've I've heard this more than once. Yeah, yeah. And and we were kind of victims of that ourselves. Uh, We're working on a 57 Thunderbird right now that has a um, a 5.0 and a a 6L90 transmission, which is the six-speed Ford. Mm -hmm. Or 6L80. 6L80. And the... Uh, catalog, the Ford racing catalog is like, here, here's part number and get the whole kit. Well, nobody, nobody in the country had one. And it was because the, the kit changed and oh, man. The production of that engine completely stopped because Ford was changing the Mustang and, and, you know, nobody could get anything. So we ended up buying an engine, buying a transmission and kind of building our own assembly uh, from independent sources, even though the mission was to not have to put the time into doing that, you know, cause it's fun. Yeah. Like what you're saying, individuals building cars in their garage, you know, hot rodders, they like the hunt. They like doing the research, mm-hmm. you know, in our case, oftentimes we have a customer that says, look, I want to drive this car in six months. Yeah. Get me the stuff now. And we don't want to be spending that time. Right. We want an easy turnkey solution. And, uh, you know, a lot of times people give us a hard time about buying new engines because they're like, oh, yeah, sure, anybody can buy a crate motor and throw it in a car. Well, the advantage there, too, is that that's warranted, pal. Especially through our shop, we're fortunate enough to be uh, Ford and GM service centers. So that warranty doesn't start until the customer gets the car home. So if the the engine is purchased in January and we finish the car in June, that, you know, two year warranty doesn't start till June, which is a great benefit for the customer. Sure. Uh, You don't get that if you're piecing together, you know, take out parts and and whatnot. So. And even if a part did have a warranty, by the time you put it in, that warranty could be expired. Yes. And we see that a lot. And, Mm -hmm. and so if an individual on the street buys uh, a GM crate motor, their warranty starts as soon as that purchase is made. Uh-huh. So that, that's kind of a bummer, but it it's good for us because we can offer that additional service. Uh, another one, it's interesting along the similar lines is our friends at Modern Driveline extend the warranty for a year um, if you buy through them or through one of their authorized installers on, oh, cool. uh, on Tremec transmissions. So Right on. 
Yeah, and that, that's nice. It just because they realize these things are sitting unused for a good portion of the beginning of their right. life. Right. You know, so it doesn't hurt anything. That's that's a nice uh, that's nice that they do that. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I wish more companies would do that because there's nothing worse than taking a part out of a box that's brand new and it's not the right one or it's broken or something yeah. and it's out of warranty already before it even. Yeah, yeah that's a bummer. Yeah. But, the, you know, the Chrysler side is also kind of a nightmare because of all of these companies, they're the hardest ones to work with on the ECM. Is that right? They, yeah. And a lot of it was theft and emissions, mm -hmm. uh, you know, regulatory stuff where. I remember at one point, and it's probably more now, but a few years ago, we were trying to uh, research tuning a factory ECM out of a Chrysler that we didn't have the software yet. Hmm. And one of the software companies was saying they needed to um, acknowledge the, the VIN in the software in every place where it gets hidden so hmm. that they could tune the car. They had to check all the right boxes and the VIN they had already counted 17 different instances where the VIN is in the software for a particular car. Oh my gosh. Yeah. And it's a theft thing, you know, um, because you know, you certainly don't ever change the VIN, but there are times when you can buy an ECM and wipe it clean and assign a new operating system to it the same way you do a computer at home. Sure. But if the VIN is locked in in all these other places. You can't change that. You can't wipe that out. I see. Uh, and and a lot of stuff like that. So a lot of people kind of stayed away from them because they couldn't crack them. They couldn't get into them to communicate with them. And okay. Um, now that's not not so much. There's some. There's a few sources you can go to to uh, to get access. Uh, our HP Tuner Suite kind of kind of works with just about everything. Mm -hmm. uh, but when the updates come out and like the the new model year comes out. We seem to have the Chevrolet tuning capability first and then the Ford stuff. And then you'll get an update saying, okay, now we can get into the, the Mopar things. Cause okay. they, they take a little bit longer to, to get to know, you know, if you will. Sure. 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 <laughs> Getting to know you. Very nice. <laughs> yeah. But those are good engines too. Um, I've driven many, many cars with, you know, six, two and six, four and five, seven Hemis. Sure. And they're, they're in a lot of trucks and, you know, and that, that was kind of the deal too, that a lot of people overlook on the LS, um, you know, that was going to be a truck motor from day one. Really? Yeah. They rolled it out in 97 in the Corvette. Right. And then in 98 in the Camaro and Firebird. But that was designed to be a truck. I mean, look at how many trucks they sell. Oh yeah. Yeah. It's a good point. They it's sell a, a lot of trucks. It's probably a thousand to one trucks versus Corvettes. Yeah, you know? true, true, true. So they needed something that was strong and reliable, but mm -hmm. that could be high performance and sexy enough to, to be a Corvette mm -hmm. engine, you know, for the image. Yeah. But at well, the end of the day, these were designed to be in trucks. Yeah, I mean, it makes it it makes the, the clean sheet design a lot more palatable when you have the economy of scale, when you're going to put it in a million vehicles, you know, right. every year. So, yeah, that makes the, the costs are well offset by by the the number of units sold so right right that's, makes, that's makes complete the, sense the name of the game there yeah man so the <clears throat> there is that challenge they they are not pretty engines <laughs> <laughs> although there's some you know low car is now coming out with some cool stuff that mm -hmm. uh does a retro style intake and we talked about this on that yeah corvette yeah. um and, and that project uh, hasn't started yet, partially because of our current virus situation right. thing we're going through. Uh, the customer can't get, it, get us the car yet. But uh, mm. looking forward to playing with those toys because um, that certainly is an image changer for that engine. And, you know, we'll make it look retro. You can clean them up. You can move the coils off them. Mm -hmm. You know, there's different intakes and, and all kinds of different stuff. But uh, it, it's definitely not as pretty as an old nailhead Buick or a Pontiac or sure. first-gen small-block Chevy like you're saying or, a, mm. you know, an early Ford V8 or whatever. But or flathead or something. Flatheads are beautiful, I think. They're cool. And, you know, yeah. those Y-blocks are neat. The one we took out of that 57 Thunderbird is sure. a beautiful engine. Yeah, they are cool. Yeah. You know? Um, LS, not so much. Not but, so uh, much. I mean, <laughs> it's definitely a... Uh, uh, a form follows function uh, type of deal. 
Mm-hmm. They function well, but oof. <laughs> not the way much you fix that is yeah. you uh, you you bury them in turbos and superchargers, and <laughs> then true. they look a lot better. <laughs> <laughs> That's right on. <laughs> <clears throat> That's funny. right on. Yeah. So I hope that answers that question a little bit because uh, there's a lot of things to consider and, and it's that that's, those are the, those are the main reasons, you know, why that thing gets swapped and everything. I was just looking on online today, a guy doing a Fox body Mustang swap with an LSA supercharged Cadillac motor, you know? Holy cow. Yeah. Right. Well, it's a bolt in the parts are there. Yeah. Buy the mounts and everything and drop it in. And it's it's going to be a bad machine. You know, it will seven hundred and thirty horsepower with Oof. the pulley and, and the cam that he's got in it. Um, That's going to scoot. Yeah, and you know the the Ford guys are all up in arms because you can you can do a turbo on a Coyote and do a thousand or twelve hundred horsepower. Mm-hmm. You know, but again, it's a cost and fitment and all yeah. that stuff. Yeah, man. But that's hot rod. That's hot rod. And that's it. <laughs> Good stuff. Well, before the uh, the mutiny starts to get the answers to our riveting trivia questions, <laughs> I do have one more interesting thing that I recently discovered. Tell and me. Uh, this kind of gets back to my, my theory before of society and technology are advancing, but sometimes they seem to go backwards. And the one thing that I noticed is that uh, I have an Amazon Alexa speaker. Do you have sure. one of those? Yeah. Yeah, I do. And I know, you know, people are saying it's listening to everything you're saying. Mm -hmm. It's, you know, reporting to the government. Oh, every day, every day. Yeah. And it could be. And I don't really care, uh, you know, (laughs) because it's in our bathroom or it's in our bedroom. And we basically use this thing for weather and Uh a little music in the wake up time. Um, And then Kelly and I don't spend deep conversation time revealing secrets in that room. You know, (laughs) okay on our way to the office where we're having, you know, mm-hmm. stuff that we don't want the government to hear. You know? Right. <laughs> <laughs> but I digress. Uh, but the one thing that that speaker does not do is a clock radio function. Mm. And that would, you would think that would be like most basic functionality. I want to listen cause you can, I can tune into different radio stations with it, but I can't right. say turn on WXRT in Chicago at 8 AM. It won't do it. Really? Yeah, you can try it. It won't do it. All right. I'll try uh, it. <laughs> you can have it do certain things at 8 a.m. You can have uh-huh. it, like, read the news or, you know, do other stuff. But but your basic clock radio function doesn't doesn't exist. Well, that's, um, that's a shame. Yeah. It, it might do it for its own Amazon music products. Like, it might play an Amazon playlist. I see. But it, it you know, it won't do a radio station. But what I found, quite by accident... As I was kind of digging around throughout the uh, the universe on Google, looking to where our own VA radio show is podcast is carried, mm-hmm. um, the iHeart Radio app, which is iHeart's really coming on strong for podcasts, they carry our podcast and they have a wake up timer function with podcasts. How about that? So people can. Wake up to cue ball. <laughs> right on. Because everybody wants to do that. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> but I thought that was pretty cool. So uh, if, uh, you know, wherever you're, you're listening to your your favorite car show here on, on the podcast, you might want to check out the iHeartRadio deal because uh, <clears throat> it, it adds some functionality beyond just being a player. And one of them is, uh, and they also have a whole bunch of great radio stations that I think you can also mm-hmm. become a clock radio for radio stations around the world, but that was pretty neat. All right. Cue ball in the morning. That's my new morning zoo show. <laughs> That's it. <laughs> yeah. Cue ball and dumbass. Welcome. <laughs> <laughs> Except when it comes to half the trivia questions. Yeah, right. Exactly. Then I'm the dumbass. <laughs> yeah, well. Speaking of trivia questions. Yes, sir. All right. Uh, Let's let so, the cat out of the bag here. Right. We've got cats and bags. Right. All right. I asked you, Kevin, who is credited for starting the pro touring uh, movement or, or genre? And uh, you went on a nice uh, nice talk about the whole pro touring history of it and what is and what isn't. And uh, you eventually boil it down to um, Mark Stilo being the person who who came up with the pro touring 
the term or the, uh, the the genre, as it were. And Kevin, that's exactly what I was going for, Mr. Mark Stilo. Hey, in right his, on. And he um, he came up with it when he built his '69 Camaro uh, called Tri Tip for the One Lap of America, 1993, and that's where it all started. That's it. Our our good friend Mark Stilo. Yeah, and uh, I was just actually listening to an interview with uh, Kyle Tucker from Detroit Speed uh, mm. talking about that as well recently. So that kind of what brought that into my head. Oh, right on. So, yeah, cool. Did he happen to mention Jeff Smith and the uh, the logo sticker? He did so, not mention Jeff I, Smith and the logo sticker. <laughs> That's cool. Yeah. Yeah, I'll I thought to, so. Uh, okay, Yardley, you're going to have to update the, the Osti column with one. <laughs> Plus one. <laughs> Ching. <laughs> we need running totals sent to us weekly. Right. Uh, okay, so your question was uh, what and when, for a two-parter, was the first production supercharged car? Yardley, you're going to have to put a minus two <laughs> in the cue ball column. So your uh, your logic was sound. Uh, you said that people got exposed to superchargers in World War II and, and all that stuff. Mm. And they learned to make power with them and then... OEs, you know, but before that, you you went backwards to uh, the year of 1930 and threw out the Duesenberg brand, mm-hmm. um, which, you know, I think makes sense. Duesenbergs are big cars. They're, yeah. they were prestigious. They had yeah. to generate power and even just to move around. A lot of technology in them. Totally. Yeah. But, but unfortunately. <laughs> <laughs> However... <laughs> Uh, not exactly the the first one. So, the world's first series-produced cars with superchargers were from our friends at Mercedes-Benz. Ooh. Uh, a couple of models. One was a, a 40 horsepower and one was a 65 horsepower, oh. introduced in 1921. Oh, my goodness. And they used Roots-type superchargers. Did they? And if you know the evolution of the Roots type supercharger, do you know that story? Um, I I don't think I know the evolution. Tune in next time for our <laughs> trivia question. <laughs> Actually, we we did have a trivia question regarding the 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 naming convention, like a a six seventy one or an eight seventy one yeah. Roots type blower. I think but, we talked uh, about it then. So those those blowers were invented by a guy named Roots. And it, they were designed to move air, so they used them to ve- uh, ventilate mine shafts and, mm-hmm. and and just push air. And uh, the the guys at Mercedes Benz took one of those and started putting them on cars and selling them. Uh, I think uh, Daimler had um, a patent for a supercharger uh, in, in, still in the 1800s, in the 1890s, but they wow. were mass produced or or produced. Anyway, uh, until 1921, and of course they called them compressors. With yes, a K, and they still do today. Yes, they do. Uh, my uh, my actually my old uh, VW Corrado had a supercharger on it. It was a scroll type charger, not a roots type charger. Yeah, but uh, yeah, it was, it was a nice unit. They are. So unfortunately, um, yeah. yeah, minus two for the Q. <laughs> <laughs> that's all right though it's a good story about the Duesenberg thank you we don't talk enough about Duesenbergs on this show I'm pretty no, sure perhaps we should well now Trevor will bring something up because please Trevor if I don't hear some Duesenberg <laughs> trivia that's his jam by the, the by the next episode we record I'll, I'll feel like someone has failed us he's also a big supercharger guy and an early supercharger guy too cool because he uh, his dad had some Graham supercharged cars. Is that right? From, from the 30s that Trevor oh, wow. helped rebuild when he was a kid. So Holy cow. Maybe we just need to have him on as a guest. We can do that. Yes. Well, maybe we will. A little little precursor. Trevor, you heard it here first. Get ready, Trevor. <laughs> That's it. <laughs> All right. Well, this was cool. This yes, was, uh, I think our adjective should have been tangential on this one because we just kind of went everywhere. But uh, <laughs> <laughs> next time on V8 Radio. <laughs> what, what was the word? Um, oh my gosh, where is it? Uh, Alacritus. Uh, yes, Lacritus. Alacritus, well, yeah. 
I had an alacritous time, and I hope you did too. Mm-hmm. I did every time. Right on. And we always like to, you know, ask people to share the show and and tell their friends about it. Um, if you pick up a, a a mobile device and go to v8radio.com, you'll see our latest episode and some icons. You just push the icon of where you want to listen. So it's, we've made it easier. Uh, so if you if you want to listen on iTunes, just push the iTunes logo and it'll it'll go right to us. Uh, cool. Same, same with the Google things and and Spotify and TuneIn Radio and, uh, and Stitcher Radio and definitely iHeart. Yeah, yeah, Player FM, Podbean, Podchaser, uh, all those fun places. So we hope to see you there. Um, we appreciate everybody for tuning in all around the world. We're getting a lot of great feedback. We encourage all that. You can leave us notes on our Facebook page, uh, or uh, uh, that's there's commentary that you can leave and reviews and things on some of the other sites. Uh, we always try to check those out too. So we appreciate that. You got anything else? Any any last second tangents? I, I feel normal losing the question again. I feel. <laughs> I feel I just feel right. You feel back to your just old feel self. right. Yeah, I feel back to my old self. Three in a row. I can't. I couldn't handle that kind of pressure. Well, now you know what it's like. It's lonely at the top. It is, man. I, they're, they're always woo. coming for you. You got to drop one every once in a while. And just keep them at bay. Keep it real, man. Got to keep it real. <laughs> That's it. All right. Well, for our uh, our three in a row, Mr. Mike Cuball Clark, I'm Kevin Osti. This is V8 Radio asking you to make sure you keep it under 100, keep the shiny side up, and uh, we will see you next time on V8 Radio. <laughs>